and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Jonathan Goodman of the Personal Trainer Development Center. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, man, I just want to say welcome back. Uh, even if you've been listening the last three weeks, I have not necessarily been able to do my show intros like I'm used to, and I'm just happy to be back here, and a lot has happened. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a very short rundown because as I record this, it is 10.23 in the evening. I had clients in the morning. I recorded podcasts all day. Uh, I cooked dinner. I cleaned the kitchen. I coached Kindle soccer practice, tucked them in bed, chatted with my wife, and now it is time to get this episode done and out the door. So with that being said, here is a quick recap of the weeks that were in this case. So number one, vacation. Vacation was awesome so needed. I didn't realize how sorely it was needed until we got 45 minutes out of town. And for those of us that have been in quarantine for an extended period, especially if you're used to traveling and getting out and about, it was crazy. I got 30, 45 minutes out of town and I immediately felt more relaxed. So that was great. We didn't do a whole lot. We went up to Michigan. We've gone there shoot every year for I don't know, at least the last, I want to say 10, 11, 12 years. I mean, I remember going when Kindle was really little, but Jess and I used to go up even before that just as a couple. So that was great. Kids loved it. I mean, we watched way too much TV. Um, but, you know, part of that is just like, hey, we're on vacation. Generally, we monitor their screen time. But, man, you want to watch Bluey for an hour, which, by the way, was our major find on that vacation. If you are a parent with young children and you're not watching Bluey, you are missing out. It's probably hands down the best kids TV show I've ever seen. But, you know, lots of TV, uh, went out to dinner a couple times, couple days at the beach, mostly just de-stressed, chilled out. It felt awesome. Um, and I'm actually getting ahead of myself. Before vacation, got in the uh, gym with my boy Paul Rutan, the video guy, and filmed all the assessment materials for the complete coach. So, if you're not already an owner of the Complete Coach Certification, you might want to look into getting signed up in September because I'm going to be adding an entirely new section on assessments. Very excited to get that out there, and I feel like that's really going to bring the entire course up a notch because now you're going to have assessment, you're going to have program design, and you're going to have coaching. So we shot that literally the next day, went on vacation. I like to plan that so I have a deadline. I have something to look forward to when I'm done. Uh, that was great. In between uh, then and now, had a birthday, 42 now. Uh, pretty uneventful <laughs> with birthdays during quarantine. You can't really go out and do a whole lot. Um, so kind of low-key here. Hung out with the family, grilled some amazing steaks, just chilled. It was great. You know, I would have liked to have gone out probably on a proper date with my wife, but couldn't couldn't work that into the cards at that point in time, so uh, we have a nice one coming up here in just a day or two, which I'll talk about in just a minute. Last weekend, had my annual dudes trip, where we go up to my good friend Wes's Lake Cottage for a weekend. Um, don't know how I talked my wife into this, but we actually stretched out an extra day. So we got up there Thursday night, chilled out, had a really nice dinner, Friday, I think Wes actually had to work some of the day, so, and I got to play like some Castlevania on his old school Nintendo. We got to fish. We always make some really great food, so we made some awesome fillets that night. 
Saturday, we had all day. I mean, we were on the water pretty much the entire day, made a massive brisket. We started it Friday night, cooked it, I think it was like 18 hours, um, took it off. It was just phenomenal. Spent six hours on the water, uh, at least fishing on Saturday, came home with nothing. I was so ashamed of myself. I kept thinking, you know, if this was like a thousand years ago and I came home, would my family be starving? Um, so that was kind of depressing, especially because the other two guys I were with did actually catch something. Um, and I kind of fancy myself a sportsman in that sense. So that was kind of disheartening, <laughs> but I'll get over that. Um, the dude's trip overall was a great time. Enjoyed that. School has started. Uh, it sure, sure as hell doesn't feel like it, if I'm being honest. Um, in our school district, um, we are 100% virtual right now, at least through Labor Day, which I'll be honest, really sucks. Pretty sure when I recorded my last round of shows, um, the thought was, hey, they're going to go back to school. That's actually what we were told. They're going back to school, plan on it. We've got these you know, strategies um, and safe practices in place. Well, literally the week after that, they come back with, nope, sorry, we're not doing that. <laughs> So super frustrating because I was really excited um, to just kind of get back to some normalcy. I felt like the kids needed normalcy. They need the socialization. You need to get out of the house, right? So that's been frustrating. I mean, today, literally, Jess is working from home. I'm recording podcasts. Kindle's on Zoom calls. Cade, I mean, he just blows through his schoolwork. So I think he was just playing Marvel Strike Force or something on his iPad for part of the afternoon of Minecraft. So that's been frustrating, but I, I'm positive and trying to be positive in the fact that things are trending upward. Um, the, the city where I live has basically said, like, we think it's safe for kids to go back. So hopefully that eases the parents or the teachers' minds, because I think the teachers were the people that really didn't want to come back, at least initially. Um, so I'm trying to stay positive about that, but it has been frustrating. Just, you know, I think we're all ready for some semblance of normalcy. Um, so one semblance of normalcy, if it's not going to be school, is sports. Um, so both kids started soccer this week. It's exciting to see them back out there. I feel like they got robbed of basically their entire spring and summer. They were both excited to play baseball and softball. That didn't happen. Obviously, most of the summer was shot. There were no organized sports. So it feels good that soccer's back in. Um, Kate is much more motivated uh, this year than last. So if you have not followed that kind of roller coaster the first year he played he just dominated like he crushed it I was so impressed with him and then last year he didn't want to play at all like he had zero desire to be out there and this year he seems kind of middle of the road um, seems a little bit more excited to be out there better participation better listening so excited for that um, had Kendall's first practice tonight um, she's got a great team it's funny just watching this whole youth sports Thing unfold in front of my eyes and I, I mean this might be a whole podcast at some point because these parents are great let's just be a hundred percent real these parents are looney tunes with sports and you know I mean I had a guy that I was coaching against today basically calling plays like it's football because there was a girl on our team that wasn't really very good or wasn't paying attention you know so he's trying to attack her and I'm like dude this is fourth grade soccer my guy like if this is the highlight of, of your year is beating up on this girl that, you know, obviously hasn't played a lot of soccer, then I kind of feel sorry for you. But I am getting way off track with that. Um, I'm just excited that that they're back into sports. They're, they're being active. They're being around other kids. 
uh, we actually switched uh, clubs. So I'm excited we're with Indie Premier now. And I've done some work loosely with them in the past, um, but I've never coached for them before. So the coaches there that, that I've interacted with up to this point are fantastic. Um, really well-run practices, very focused, crisp, um, very positive in nature, which is basically how I try and coach. So I definitely get along with that. Um, and the best part is like I'm a coach, but generally their coaches run one practice and then I run another. Um, so it's not all of the weight being on me to you know, direct and shape and mold these these young kids. Um, they've got a pro that kind of does that, and then I can kind of fill in the gaps and do the things that I do well. So very excited about that. And then last but not least, tomorrow, or actually today, if you're listening to this on the 14th, is my wife and I's 16th wedding anniversary. So if you don't know, this show, all of the accolades, um, all of the things that I have achieved, I don't think would be possible if I had not met Jess way back, believe it or not, in 1998. So we've been married 16 years, but we've actually been together like 22. Um, so you do the math, you know, I was 19 when we met, I'm 42 now. So 22, 23 years is a long, long time to be with somebody. And she absolutely makes me a better person. She has pushed me in all the right ways to achieve what I have. Um, and she is a constant, supporter of me and I just uh, I love and appreciate her so much um, so if you ever interact with her if you ever see her um, if you enjoy the show and the things that I try and do professionally um, and you ever come in contact with her just tell her thank you because all of these things would not be possible without her so my friend I have rambled on quite a while I could have gone a lot longer if we're being honest if it wasn't 10:32 right now I'm sure I would continue rambling on about crazy parents and not catching fish and all of the other things that are going on in my life. But we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to jump into this awesome show with my guy, Jonathan Goodman. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in our industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better trainer or coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in September. And if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 off the standard price when it opens. To get on the insiders list, head over to Complete 
completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails that'll be coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Jonathan Goodman is the founder of the Personal Trainer Development Center and Online Trainer Academy Certification. He's authored 11 books and lived in 10 countries. You can listen to him host the hilarious and educational online trainer show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. In this show, John and I cover a ton of ground, but a few highlights include why you don't necessarily need a vision to be successful early on in your career, the constraints you deal with in offline versus online coaching, and he even offers up some really great tips to help you be more successful with your online coaching clients. There's a lot of great info in this show, and I think you're going to love it. But enough for me, let's do this. Jonathan, thanks so much for coming on the show here today, man. Super excited to catch up. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Jonathan Goodman. For those of you who uh, don't know who I am, I started a website called the Personal Trainer Development Center back in 2011. Um, really, uh, I didn't even know what a blog was when I started it, but I started a blog. And uh, and what I figured out relatively quickly is that I didn't have that many good ideas. Uh <laughs> as a lot of people do when they start a blog. and But what I figured out is, okay, well, if I have one or two good ideas a year, there's probably a lot of other people who have one or two good ideas a year. So why don't I just get as many people as possible who have one or two good ideas to publish their good ideas on my website? Okay. And, uh, and created a uh, created a curated platform for personal trainers. We've now got over a thousand articles. Most, I mean, all of the ones in the last five or six years, professionally edited. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, there's you know three to five million trainers a year who come visit and learn from us. That is awesome. Very cool. So, what originally led you to the world of like physical preparation and working out and all that? How did you get started there? Why did I start working out? I wanted yeah. to get girls. Why did I, why does anybody start working out? <laughs> yes. I thought I thought my 14, 15 year old brain thought that girls liked biceps. Uh, and so <laughs> I went to the gym after school. I'd walk to the YMCA after high school with uh with two of my buddies, Brandon and Trevor, and we'd we'd work out at the YMCA. And the funniest thing is like I, I have memories of the weights that I was doing back then are actually similar to the weights I was doing now. You know, <laughs> yes. like we put like we put like twenty fives on the pucher curl, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea how I did that exercise, but it could not have looked good. Right. And, and so, I mean, that was the start. I uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up, but like every good Jewish boy, I figured I was going to be a doctor, and so I figured I needed to do some science something. Um, I liked. In exercise science class in high school, and so I went and studied kinesiology in university. Okay. And I was still pretty early on in university. I figured I wasn't going to be a doctor, but uh, but I thought that I was going to do a PhD in advanced muscle phys um, oh. and sort of go on and go into academia. And uh, that was always kind of the path that I thought that I was going to go on. But I became a personal trainer in secondary university. Worked at the university gym for three years. Finished university, figured I'd take a bit of a break before I became an adult and I'd be a personal trainer for a few years in Toronto. Yeah. And so, you know, I came out of school with a four-year honors kinesiology degree, three years of experience working in the university gym yeah. uh, as, as a full-time personal trainer. And still what was interesting is that um, 
I was still always going to go back and do a master's and PhD. In fact, I actually had begun the application process. I, I, I was interested in studying for the geekier of the people. I don't even know where the science is at now. This was so long ago. This was like 2008. But I was, I was really interested in looking at um, the decline in satellite cell pools and satellite cell atrophy in, in old age men okay. and women and potential therapies to either reverse that or slow that down. And, uh, and I don't know why I was so interested in that, but I just thought that it was really interesting. I still think it's pretty yeah. interesting. I mean, at that point, it was basically like testosterone supplementation. You can't do anything else. Right. Um, and it might still be. I don't actually know. <laughs> but there were a couple, there were a couple of professors, um, one in Saskatchewan, one in Colorado, who were, who were doing what seemed like leading work. So I had like applications and process. And one of my clients, as anybody as a personal trainer can attest, your clients are often your biggest mentors and are like – the fact that at me at 21 and 22 years of age had people paying me who were in the positions that they were in to spend time with me that I could then ask questions of uh, yes. was great. So this guy was the associate dean of medicine at the University of Toronto. Like I trained him. I trained the chief of psychiatry at the biggest hospital in Toronto. Very cool. Um, yeah. You know, I, I trained like Canada's top jazz singer. You know, I right. trained a couple guys getting ready for the NHL draft. One of them is um, uh, first or second line for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, actually. And, uh, and it's just funny that these people are like spending time with me. And so I asked him, I asked this associate dean of medicine, Rick, I asked him for a letter of reference for my application. And he said, you know, I think, I think you would do great whatever you do, but, and, and I'm happy to write you a letter, but only if you tell me why you want to do mm. a master's or PhD. Nice. And I told him, I told him at that point, I said, well, I want to write a book. And he said, so write an effing book. <laughs> And, and it was interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that at that point, I had no, like, at that point, I'd never said to anybody, I'd never give any inclination to anybody that I'd ever thought about writing a book in any capacity. Like, I never thought about it. I wasn't that kid at high school, like, writing stories. Like, I wrote whatever I had to for school, and that was it. Okay. And so I had no idea where this came from, but I don't know, that seeded an idea. And, uh, and what was interesting is that, you know, pretty soon after that, I did start my first book. And that first book came out the year that I would have, if I went through with everything, finished my PhD. Mm. Okay, nice. And uh, and that book's called Ignite the Fire, and Ignite the Fire is still, uh, well, it's it's not quite my best-selling book because we don't promote it as much, but it actually still, 10 years now, about 10 years since it came out, it still sells more month after month than it did. Um, and it's in a few languages, and it's used in like mentorships and That's whatnot. Awesome colleges internationally and certifications internationally and like none of that would have happened if i went to do the phd it still might have happened right i mean i probably would have written some sciency to be honest right but uh but that that piece of advice was so interesting it's like why do you think that you need permission why do you think that you and we've done a lot of research into our audience now of you know, why people feel like they need certifications in the fitness industry to be successful. And um, the technical knowledge is something called credential insecurity. Mm. And that's actually something that a lot of education marketers use to market their programs. They make you feel insecure that you're not good enough to do what you do in order to sell their credentials. 
Interesting. And uh, and so I mean I think a lot of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, kind of kind of feel that, right? Yeah. You know, who am I to do this? Oh, if only I had this, these letters behind my name, then I can finally do this. He's like, so write an effing book. Like, right. if 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 the market thinks it's good, they'll buy it, and like yes. that's what happened. I love it. I love it. So talk to me about, you know, your thinking about doing the master's degree and all that, and you shift gears, you write a book. Talk me through writing that book to where you're at now. What what does that progression look like? Jeez, how much time you got? <laughs> I feel like I have lived three different careers and three different lifetimes since that point. I wrote a book because I was too ignorant not to. Uh, I actually have another book that I want to write that's like a file on my computer called The Ignorance Quotient because I, I find the idea fascinating of like, is it possible to quantify somehow how much we need to know about something so that we can responsibly take action on it and avoid catastrophic failure? Where if we get past that point, we know too much about a thing where it actually starts to manifest as a negative. Mm. You know, we start yeah. to second guess, we start to, and so um, I knew so little about what I should do or what I shouldn't do, right? I was mm-hmm. 24 years old. Who the heck was I to write a book to educate an industry at 24 years old? I knew so little about what was out there because keep in mind, this was like 2009 right. that I that I started this process. I mean, the internet was there, like guys like you and, and, and I think – you know, some of the products that you were putting out were, were coming out in around that time. It was out there, but you had to go pretty far out of your way to go find it. Yes. Right. It wasn't thrust in your face. And uh, and so I knew so little about why I shouldn't have done the thing that I did that I just did it. Yeah. And I wonder I wonder whether there's a lesson in that. And so, you know, I had no idea if I knew how hard it would be to write a book and produce a book and get a book edited and published and distributed, there's no way in heck I would have done it. Right. But I didn't. And so every step I was just kind of figuring out the next yes. one. It's like, like, like to find my editor for the book, I literally went to chapters, which is like our equivalent of Bones and Noble here in Canada. I basically went to chapters. I wrote down the names of the authors of every fitness book on the shelf. And I Googled them and I found an email and I cold emailed every single one of them and asked who their editor was and for an introduction. <laughs> and um, and I ended up working with Brad Schoenfeld's editor, who's Kelly James Anchor. Okay. Because here's the yeah. thing, like basically everybody got back to me. Dan John was another one that I emailed. Yeah. Right. And um, and that's how I found my editor. Like that's how ignorant I was. Yeah. Right. But but there's there's like a beauty in that. There's a simplicity in that. And I feel like in this day and age, maybe we all need a little bit more in that. And uh, and then the book came out. And, you know, at that point, basically, very few people had physical books. Self-publishing was still very much in its infancy. It was harder. There was a lot of ebooks and digital products and stuff like that. Yeah. But having something physical to hand to somebody else, I found was an immediate differentiator. So I just worked to try to get the book in as many people's hands as possible. I would literally, same type of thing. I would just cold email. I might've cold emailed you. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I probably did, which yeah. is funny. Cause like, this is the first time we've actually spoken. Right. Um, just the craziest, like, I feel like you're actually like almost the last person in the industry that I've admired for as long as I've admired that I've never actually spoken to. <laughs> and, uh, and I just basically cold emailed everybody and I just said, Hey, what's your address? I'd love to send you something yeah. like that was it. <laughs> right. Yep. And, um, and I sent them all a book with a note 
and um, and, a, and a sticky tab in the book with a page that I thought that they'd be interested in. And then it was just a matter of if the book is good, they'll pass it on. Yep. And it's much easier. I mean, guys in your position get asked a lot, hey, like, you know, how do I become better? How do I become better? And unfortunately, a lot of the questions that were asked are often not very good questions that don't have very good answers. Yeah. And so the easiest thing to do is to recommend a resource that we believe in. Yep. And uh, and I found that my book, because it was a printed book, was that resource because I had that thing, yep. right? There's like a certain sunk cost. There's a certain um, seriousness that's communicated. Somebody who, and this is one of the things that I look for in people too that that approach me. It's like, is there a measure of seriousness that I can see around what you do? That's my first layer to see whether I want to spend more time to get to know who you are. Hmm. Like yep. that's why a website's important. That's why something physical that you've done is important. Um, how much have you actually invested into this? Like I went to figure out who as a completely unrelated, but I think funny related story. I moved into a new neighborhood as yep. we were speaking about, you know, into a new house just before lockdown. And I had to get a haircut for the first time, like a month ago. And because lockdown happened, it was like a while and my hair was really shaggy and ugly and we did the home haircut and it was a bad idea and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and so how do you find a barber in a new neighborhood? Maybe you get a referral, but like you have no way of knowing, you know, in the neighborhood that I'm in, there's probably a dozen barbers around it. You have no way of knowing whether somebody is good or not good. Right. Even after they cut your hair, you probably don't even know if they're good or not good. So like this is kind of like personal training, by the way. I mean, it takes... It takes so long to figure out whether somebody is good and not good. And most consumers are so ignorant towards what is quality and what's merit and what isn't merit yes. that you kind of have to give yourself like cheats in order to communicate that. And one of the best ways is like showcase skin in the game and like Nassim Taleb. So I walked around the neighborhood and I looked in the barber shops and I see one of the barbers, his chair is a golden throne. I was like, that's my guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's my guy. Right. Right. I don't know if he's the best one in the neighborhood cutting hair, but I know he's not going to be shit. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like you don't you don't do that if you're not good at what you do. Right. Right. And so how can you showcase that? We all do this kind of unconsciously. I start to do this consciously more and more. Anyway, so, I mean, the book came out with that started the website to promote the book started to get other people involved in the website and it kind of grew from there. Um, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now, whatever it is, nine years later, I've written 11 books, created the first ever certification for online fitness professionals, wrote the only textbook on that, um, called the online trainer Academy and experimented with a whole bunch of stuff that didn't work and figured out some stuff that did. I love it. I love it, man. So talk to me, like, let's go back to the early days. What prompted you to create the personal trainer development center? Like you said, you realized you didn't have a ton of ideas. Maybe other people did, but what was the impetus behind starting the thing in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, human beings, myself very much included, are really good at post-rationalizing, creating plausible-sounding narratives for events that happened, neatening up the curve. And, and it's hard to remember the actual events that happened appropriately. Yes. What I do know is that... Um, I called it the Personal Trainer Development Center because I wanted an official sounding name because I knew that if I wanted other people involved in it, it had to seem like it was something before it yes. was. 
Um, and we we legit, if you look, if you go back and find the first logo, we actually put a building in the logo to make it seem like we had an office. Um, that was funny. <laughs> and, and I mean, it was, you know, it was like John Goodman's like computer in his one bedroom apartment after a long day of clients at 10 o'clock at night, right? For the right. first two years. I mean, I would, I would finish clients at 9.30 at night, get home at 9.45, work on it till two in the morning, wake up at six, go again. Hmm. Um, that was life for the first yeah. year and a half years of it. Um, I, I did, the honest question is, I did, or the honest answer is I didn't really, I don't really know. Um, I knew that I needed something. I was 23 years old and I had reached quote unquote, the top of personal training in Toronto. You know, I was charging right. as much as I could charge at that point was 97 bucks an hour. I had as many clients as I could handle. I was 35, 40 hours a week. Um, I had great clients. I had consistent clients. I had some athletes, some celebrities, a great, like just amazing general pop clients, like, like a good mix, yep. you know, where if, uh, my, you know, this, this jazz singer, Sophie was going to Japan to tour for three months. Um, I could immediately pull somebody in at 10 30 AM Monday, Wednesday and Friday to fill yep. a spot. Like, yep. like I had a good mix of that. Cause that's one of the biggest problems with athletes and celebrities, right? Yes. They go away and what do you do with their spot? And so I, you know, I, I had that, I, I was earning a commission from referring my overload of clients to other trainers. I was even the senior trainer at my club at that point. So earning a bit of a salary, hiring and onboarding and doing some in-service trainings as well. Yeah. Like at 23 years old and, um, and, you know, the, to me, the looking back again, the trigger point was I was playing ice hockey one night because I still, like any good Canadian, played ice hockey five or six years even out of university. I was never good. Right. But, like, I just always liked playing. Yes. And uh, and I got tripped at night by some goon. And, like, anybody who knows Toronto ice hockey, which I don't know why anybody would, but Toronto, like, beer league ice hockey, you basically can't get ice times other than, like, midnight. <laughs> and so – you know, we play at midnight on Wednesday would be our games. Right. Um, and so for a trainer waking up at 6 a.m., that kind of sucks. But anyway, so I got tripped at night and um, and and injured my hamstring. Who knows what it was, a strain or something, and was off my feet for two weeks. And I was just like, man, this is not a viable career, like if I can't make money for two weeks. So this this idea of, you know, is this what my life is going to be like kept popping up in my head. And, and I knew that I needed some – way to make money not on my feet. I knew that I needed some passive multiple stream of income, whatever it was. Sure. But keep in mind, this is like 2008. So that stuff isn't thrust in your face. I mean, guys like you were doing it because you're smart, but it wasn't thrust in your face. I mean, you weren't right. being fed with make money online, become a six figure, whatever right. ads. And so I had no idea what to do, but I went to, again, I went to the bookstore and I wrote down with a piece of paper all of the titles of uh, marketing books that said anything about different streams of income and multiple streams of income. And then I walked across the street to the library and I checked out all of those books and I just started reading. Um, yeah. And and I, I, I played, man. I experimented. You know, I built two business plans for smoothie operations. I studied residential real estate investing for eight months. Um, just anything. And eventually I came across this book by Robert G. Allen called Multiple Streams of Income. I have no idea how outdated it is now, but <laughs> it's like comically outdated. But in that book, um, there was a chapter on what's called infopreneuring, which again, like now it's like at that point it was like the skies had opened up. It was like, oh, for you now it's like, right. oh yeah, of course you can do that. Right? Right. But, but at that point it wasn't. And so um, I, you know, in that in that book, I still remember there was this diagram and it was this um, 
it was the circle to denote like the center of the universe. And then all around the outsides of it was like all of the income streams that you could gain from it. And in the circle in the center of the universe was write a book. Right. And, and the idea was, you know, write a book and then you can build all of these income streams around it. And one of them, of course, was a website where you can sell advertising, build a mail list, blah, 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 build right. additional prices, host seminars, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, and so the advice was write a book about something you already know about. Other people want to know about it. I was like, I know about personal training. Right, right. <laughs> and did it. Right. And yeah. so then every day to write that book, I just had a note on the back of my clipboard and everything I did, every objection I faced, every question I was asked by a client, every time I wrote a program, every time I picked up garbage on the floor, every interaction with a manager, every trainer I hired, I would just write a note on the back of my clipboard, just write down what I did. And then I would go home at night and I would just write up in more detail what I did and why I did it. Yeah. And that eventually turned into Ignite the Fire. That's, that's awesome. It's such a brilliant way to do things too. Like back in the day, right? When blogs were a thing and people would ask me, how do I start a blog? Like that's literally what I told people to write about because what was the objection to starting a blog? Oh, I don't have anything to say. What am I going to write about? Like literally that's what I would tell people. Oh, that question that you just answered for that client, that's a blog. Like that's right. what people want to read about because that's a real life interaction that you had that you can help people better understand. Seven. How many blog posts have you written? Oh, dude, I don't know. Like, if if I had to look at all of the pieces of content on my website, yeah. probably a thousand to twelve hundred between Isn't articles, podcasts, videos. Yeah, I mean. I mean, just I'm, that body of work isn't that just so incredible to have built that? It's. I mean, it's so impressive. Thank you, thank you. It's just it's crazy to think about. I mean, I've been doing this, like you started, what, 08? I started in 03. So I just have a couple yeah. years on you. But yeah. I spoke to, I, I was I was not even in university at that point. Um, <laughs> I spoke to, uh, I, did, I did a podcast with uh, with DeFranco, with Joe. Yeah. And it was, it was similar. I think he started in 2002, 2003. Yeah. And just like, even how you put out products, we're using Vivante back in the day. How yeah. are you doing it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Vivante. I mean, it's just the, the archaic, like... I mean, Vivante's still around. I mean, it's still fine. But like yes. just the way that we had to figure out how to put out product and ship to customers or even delivering digital goods, like you couldn't send a big file. No. <laughs> like no. that was a problem. No, but you talked about online coaching. When when I started online coaching, video wasn't a thing. It's not like you were sending videos in YouTube. It was right. like static posture pictures and then figure out how I move from that. So – Anyway, so let's let's circle back here. That's you, funny. You get you get ignite the fire going. Yeah. And right. and the PTDC is a thing. Do you remember what your vision was for the site when it started? And and maybe kind of as a follow up to that, did you ever imagine it would be what it is today? Um, the answer is no to both of those. I really don't know what the vision was. I don't think that I had one. I've always had ideas. I've never been lacking for ideas, but I have no idea what I wanted to turn it into. I mean, I, I started to make some affiliate sales. Like that was kind of what floated the website first Okay, was affiliate promotions before we figured out what to do selling our own stuff yeah. and what to build. You know, I didn't, 
I didn't build stuff and then say, okay, now I need a content platform to market stuff. I built a content platform and then I spoke to people and then I figured out what to build. Yeah. And so to fund the content platform was a lot of affiliate promotions. I was like, that was pretty cool for a while. Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like a 24, 25, 26 year old guy, you know, making like 100, 150,000 bucks a year in, in right. affiliate promotions. I mean, I started like winning because there were very few products for trainers at that point. I remember particularly one with our with our mutual friend Eric Cressy, where I was promoting. I don't even remember what it was of his, but I was promoting something of his as an affiliate. And I remember I more than doubled the next <laughs> affiliate, right, in the promotion. And it was it was so interesting because the other people who were promoting had bigger lists and everything than mine, but my list was of trainers. Yes, right, and I could sell this workout not as a workout but as continuing education yep and immediately now you know the time objection is gone the value proposition is different that was one of my big aha moments i was just like i've got this thing here i mean not only do i have this this audience of um the best fitness consumers but i can communicate and sell to them entirely differently yep um, and they may be buying it for themselves and they may, so, uh, you know, I, that sort of became the vision. I was like, well, you know, at one point I'm probably going to get into the consumer market. The reality of it is the trainer market, at least the, the, the entrepreneurial business minded savvy trainer market yep. is quite frankly too small. Yes. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're doing well in it for sure. Yeah. But the vision for, for a while and continues to be, uh, is, is for us to continue to enter into the consumer market, basically yep. going there with the trainers yes. um, and helping the trainers do better at the same time as treating the trainers, both as producers and consumers. Um, and then allowing that to basically whittle down systematically, like just playing the long game. Um, yeah. It's been the vision for a while. I don't know what the original vision was. There probably wasn't one, to be honest. Well, I mean, you don't write like like I wrote and published eleven books. Like that's a stupid thing to do. <laughs> like like from a right. business standpoint, like that's just a dumb thing. Like you don't need you don't need that many, right? Right. Um, that was just me like figuring out what works and what doesn't work, and um, what people like and what people don't like. But I, I think. Not having a vision early on is okay, especially the way you did it because you were young, number one. And number two, I think yes. a lot of a lot of times people like ourselves, we start just because we genuinely are excited or passionate about our craft. We want to share that with other people. Um, so even more than any monetary incentive, it's just like the feel-good endorphins or whatever it is that we get from publishing a blog or getting an yeah. article published and knowing that there are other people out there that this is benefiting – like that is, it, it's not like a big like macro vision, right? But it's like this short like little nugget of, hey, this is valuable to somebody today. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's there's three things I want to unpack there because I think that was so brilliant. One is, one is identifying like I was able to do what I did, how I did it because I was young. Mm -hmm. You know, I was sure. young. I had no, no, no dependence. And I mean, that's a part of my story that. I'll still remember I was on a podcast a couple of years ago with like the hosts I knew had been through like pretty serious adversity, like, you know, 
father and mother, I think it was the mother passed away, the father left, and they were made to fend for themselves at like 14. It was like that right. type of story. Oh, wow. And, um, and they asked me, you know, what's the biggest adversity you've been through? And I'm just like, dudes, I know your story. Like, I'm not even going to insult you by saying, like, you know, I'm, right. I, I, was, I was brought up by a reasonably affluent, a very loving family in suburban Toronto, you know, right. I worked, I worked through all university for sure. But I mean, I graduated university debt free. Like that's why I was able to do what I did and how I did it. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I, I never, I mean, still to this day, like I, I sport a very classy $20 Casio watch, <laughs> you know, right. I just, I, I have always lived well below my means. Um, because what I believe that that allows you to do, I always say freedom is providing yourself the opportunity to fail. Like I've always been able to have that opportunity to try stuff. And if it doesn't work, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and a lot of that is luck and circumstance hundred percent. And that it's taking advantage of that by very much living below my means. You know, if I could have afforded a bigger apartment, I didn't buy it. You know, right, right. I didn't, I didn't go out to eat very often. I mean, this idea of people like eating out five days a week, that's insane. Right. Um, and so I just never did that. Um, yep. and now even, you know, when I can afford it, there are certainly things that I, I splurge on because I, I understand how much, I will truly enjoy them. Yes. But, but it's still very much living below my means. That's number one, um, is, is that idea. I think that's so valuable. If you have the opportunity to live below your means and test and try it out and figure stuff out without the outward pressure that you have to make money from it, that is such a massive competitive advantage in the market yep. that you will only figure out in retrospect. Yeah. Um, the second is celebrate small wins and, and, and a win is something that, um, a win is something that you do. That's a positive behavior regardless of the outcome. Mm, yeah. I and like it's that. so easy to compare ourselves to, you know, all of the potentially fake, maybe not fake stuff on social media. But like I just posted a video on my Instagram the other day of like me sitting beside my art director while he photoshopped a photo of me getting bigger muscles. Right. And like <laughs> there's literally a button in Photoshop called bulk in a 30-second nice. video in Photoshop. He just put it over my arms and I asked him to give me some chunkier forearms, you know. Right. What? But, uh, but you know, <laughs> over my arms, over my shoulders, my forearms and my traps and literally was just like and like I'm more jacked. Right. You know, um, and if I didn't like we could easily have done that in a way that and posted it as if it was me. Yeah. Um, you know, so and, and that from a business standpoint, too, it's relatively easy to fabricate that. And it's very easy to compare yourself, even if it's not fabricated to like the end of somebody else's book. You know, it's very easy to compare the beginning of your book to like the yes. final chapter of somebody else's. And the most important thing is to recognize a positive action for the action, knowing that it's not always going to work out, but um, you should celebrate positive actions. Like when you put out a blog post, when you do this, it's just like, go for a walk, like, like hug somebody, like celebrate right. it in some special way, right? Um, because 
those things add up and then you might sit here and you're Mike Robertson and you're like, I have 1200 pieces of content and I can provide for my family a really beautiful life. And like, that's only because I've been doing this for as long as I've been right. doing it. You know, I'm sure that you wrote blog posts that nobody paid attention to. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot of them actually. <laughs> um, so have I. And, and sometimes it was stuff that I thought was really good. Yep. Um, and I've put out products, uh, I put out a the first professionally video produced product that we that I put out that we sold was called Hiring Trainers, and it was like eight plus months of work. I did it with a partner who's an expert. It was an incredible product, video shoot, everything. We put it out. We did a we got we generated a, a pre launch list of about twenty six thousand people, just over that of people who said that they were interested in it. We put it out to sell it with a, you know, a, a, a what's the 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 perfect sales formula or oh, whatever. Oh yeah, it yeah. The the three video the, launch. The perfect um, launch or whatever it was. Yeah. Whatever whatever it is. Uh anyway, so we put it out with that and um uh five people bought. Oh wow. And and <laughs> it was the type of thing where I spent nobody bought the first day. Um the amount of time I spent checking to make sure all of the tech was working properly. <laughs> yeah yeah but like what did that teach me um that taught me very clearly that a what people say they want and what they'll buy are two very different things mm-hmm. and until you actually get money you don't really know it taught me that um you've got to sell people what they want and give them what they need you know trainers and gym owners told me that they want to figure out a way to find and hire and onboard and to attain good staff uh, but that wasn't the actual problem, right? The actual problem is they wanted more freedom and security in their life. Mm. Yes. And so if I sold them more freedom and security and then I gave them the solution to hiring and onboarding trainers, I bet you I would have sold more of them. Yep. So like you learn these things and I yeah. mean, I've gotten better as a result of it and I, don't get me wrong, man. It sucked. That one sucked. That one hurts. Yes. I still have it. Where is it? I'll show you. <laughs> Here. Here's a... Vision and absolutes. Yes. <laughs> this is the only remaining copy of it. This wow. is a Vervante thing. There you go. Yeah. That's that's a faux pas on a podcast, by the way. Oh, use showing something. Ah, yeah, use virtual right. props. I get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk online training because in the year 2020, it's kind of a big deal right now. So when did you start training clients online? And perhaps more importantly, when did you realize that this could be a huge opportunity for trainers and coaches? I will tell you the story because we have been teaching people how to add online training to their business since 2013. Okay. Um, to date, we've helped over 30,000, probably more than that. 30,000 is actually old. It's probably up at 40, 45,000 now in 87 wow. countries. Add online training as either a, a full-time or a side thing. The majority of people actually do it as, as a side thing, as an add-on thing. Yeah. Um, and they do it with, with a hybrid model, which is something I championed back in 2013, but basically it came about in 2012. I mean, I, I told you a little bit about the story of how the PTDC started as a content platform and then we just spoke to people and figured out what they needed. Yep. So back in 2013, I did a series of 147, 15 minute phone calls with our audience. In addition, we did a million plus data points of, of surveys. And the main questions that I was looking to answer were, what are your biggest frustrations with the fitness industry? What are your goals? And then what are you currently doing? Yep. 
And um, what I was able to do based off of all of that, I've, I've done those batches of phone calls twice now. Um, and and we, we have done a lot of other research and phone calls, but like those were pretty unorganized. Now we do much more organized research. Um, but, uh, but anyway, what came out of that was we were able to whittle down the biggest problem in the fitness industry to one question, okay. which is how can trainers make a bit more in a bit less time with a bit better schedule? Okay. Figure it out unequivocally that the majority of trainers really needed and wanted to make five hundred to fifteen hundred dollars more a month. Okay. None of the six figure nonsense. Right. It was I mean, there was a tiny subsection of people who are motivated by that type of thing. But if you understand even the littlest bit about happiness and happiness research and what actually makes a difference in your life, it, it has basically nothing to do with that. Um, and so this 500 to 1500 a month would make a very big difference and allow trainers to step back a little bit to reassess their position in the gym, to reassess what they do and, and give them the space to figure out what their next steps are. Right. Maybe right. that's grow my fitness business. Maybe that's even put fitness on the back burner. We, we, we joke sometimes, and this is going true for some people. It's like, I used to love going to the gym until I started working there. It's like for a lot of right. people who work in the gym, um, what we found is that personal training is actually better in a lot of cases as almost a side hobby to a full-time job. When it becomes your full-time job and your income, you start to lose the passion for it. Um, and we've seen that come up with a lot of people, not everybody, hundred percent, not everybody, but we've seen that come up with a lot of people. So, so yeah. anyway, so this number 500 to 1500. So, um, so in 2012, I put together a business model and I called it one K extra, yep. you know, basically here's how to make saying, What did I learn from, you know, hiring trainers? You don't sell people online training, sell people. I'm going to help you make a thousand dollars extra as a personal trainer. Yes. And then online training is the solution. Yes. And so, um, you know, we did a, a beta group of 24 people, 22 made it through, basically rejigged based off of that, iterated on it, built the first course, sold the first course. I think we did like 350 moments, the first one. And then basically from 2013 to 2016, just took in different cohorts. Wow. What's going on there? Is that garbage? <laughs> no, no, that is called virtual learning, my friend. I'm pretty sure one of my oh. children just printed something. Oh, very cool. Yes. Oh, yeah, there you go. Little rounding action. Another faux pas. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, make sure you get the decimal point in the right place. <laughs> That's right. Um, got a couple of buddies who are uh, who are investment bankers. That's very important. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what? So so basically, from that right, from 2013 to 2016, we just kept working on the model. We taken we did it cohort based. So that we could assess what happened and we would follow people and see what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they're using, what they're not using. Then we would talk to them afterwards and figure out how they did and, and rework and fix programs. So we did, we did four major uh, versions of that and then eventually evolved it into the Online Trainer Academy in 2016, gotcha. which uh, was the first ever textbook for online trainers, the first ever certification for online trainers. Um, OTA now is in version 3.0. We've done three versions of it. We've done, I mean, everything from, we still continue the same process of iteration and stuff like that. Um, but did, I mean, independent audits, like we had the senior course developer from Yale University do an independent audit on the actual learning of the program, for example, um, just to continue to make it, you know, better and right. better and better. Um, and, 
you know, we recognized that online training was something that trainers needed back in 2013. Yes. Because it was just not as a full-time thing, not as something to make six figures. It's just like, this is how you become immune to change. This is how you build a resilient business. This is, this is something that every trainer should have as a, and every gym should have as a part of what they do. Yep. Right. For some people that might mean a full-time thing where you sit with your feet up on the beach, but like for most it's not. In fact, the most surprising thing that I tell people is the majority of people that we work with, and I told you like we've worked with quite a few in quite a few different situations. The majority of people we work with actually never online train anybody who doesn't live in the same city as them. Really? That's interesting. Just think about it. It's just, it's simply a, a, being able to leverage technology is simply a way to better optimize the service that you're delivering. Right. In the gym, there are a host of constraints that kind of force this business dictating fitness continuum, whereby you have to charge a certain amount because there's higher overhead, which means it's it's a less cost-effective option, which means you have scheduling constraints, location constraints, availability sure. constraints, all of that, right? Sure. Um, all of those things mean that it is a less than optimal service for the client. Yeah. All that technology allows you to do is flip that continuum on its head and allow fitness to dictate business, yep. which is what it always should have been. And now you can use this hybrid model that, that we developed to basically say to a client, what do you need? How do you need it? Where do you need it? When do you need it? I'm going to give you that as a concierge service. And, um, and offer it sometimes in a more, much more cost-effective way to the client, definitely in a more convenient way to both of you. Yes. Right, without without any of those constraints. And and so then it allows you to take on referrals, then it allows you to train somebody who maybe isn't 15 minutes from your gym. Yep. You know, I have clients who drive two hours to see me once a week on the weekends. Yeah. Well, now I could work with them throughout the week and they wouldn't have to go out of the way to see me on the weekend unless they wanted to. Yeah. Um, and so who are you know most of your clients if you're a great trainer most of your clients is going to come through word of mouth yeah well people know people who live close who are in community groups close most people's families are relatively close to them and so that's just how the clientele is just form and expand yeah i love it i love it so new trainer or coach listens to this interview or they purchase online trainer academy and they realize okay i want to do this what's the first piece of advice that you give them to get started Oh my goodness. The first, first, first piece of advice is to talk to people. Okay. To talk Expand. To Expand. So we've got, we've got this, this community of trainers um, on Facebook. It's at like 40,000 or something. And inevitably every single day we get at least one person posting saying, I'm doing everything trying to get clients. I put out these funnels. I I, I, I did these ads, I have this ebook, I have this opt-in, and, and nobody's buying. What am I doing wrong? Can somebody check the sales copy on my website? And um, and and I, when I'm feeling um, particularly cheeky, I guess, I, I just type back, how many people have you spoken to today? Right. And they say, well, but I mean, I did, like, I'm sending all these ads, and this many people saw it. I'm like, how many people have you spoken to today? <laughs> I'm like, well, not. I'm like, maybe you should speak to people. And yeah. so we have as a fundamental principle 
and foundational strategy in the Online Trainer Academy, we give you a process for speaking to five other human beings every day. And it is as simple and open-ended as that. It doesn't yeah. have to be about fitness. It should talk to them about something that they are interested in. Yeah. Hey, buddy, I saw that video you posted you performing your guitar at that show. Yo, that was really great. That riff that you did was awesome. Like, take interest in other people. Facebook, social media. I mean, I wrote a book called Vironomics literally about um, the social contagion on social networks on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And – and so I can tell you all of the science behind this, all of the science behind, from our psychology, how all of these systems work. Facebook, social media is about nothing if it isn't about serendipity. Everything that you do on those platforms, you do and you do in order to position yourself to catch a lucky break. You don't know when these lucky breaks are going to happen. The better you're able to position yourself, the better chances that will happen. It will always happen. It will happen faster for some people than others. But the more people you speak to, the more nodes on your network that you have, and I'll spare you all of how the algorithms actually work. And then you have to understand the priorities of social networks and why they will continually choose for this type of interaction because of sunk costs, because it will actually protect their platforms over the years as, as other competitors come in. But the more connections that you're able to make with actual human beings, the better, the more people will know about you. And the way to get clients is not for, for somebody starting, right? If you're scaling and you have a lot of money to play around with, like, like hundred thousand plus basically sitting there that yeah. you can like lose before you start gaining anything, then you can start playing with paid advertising. Right. Right. But that's certainly not what you do to start because right. there's always going to be more people. Once you start getting into paid advertising, there's always going to be people who are better than you and have way more money than you that you're competing against. Right. So like it's going to take you – it's like it's like if you've got a 52-48 advantage over the casino. It's like how long is it going to take you for that advantage to even out, right? Like you got right. to be willing to lose a bunch of money first. And so, um, and so this idea of – the way that you most often get clients in the fitness industry, particularly in online fitness, is um, you reached out. I reached out to you, Mike, and I said, hey, man, it looks like your kids are really into sports. That's great. Oh, they're rounding off their, their decimals. Oh, that's cool. Like, love that you're sharing this stuff, man. So right. good to talk to you. I have a conversation with you. Right. Right. Now you see because uh, the now the system is going to show you my material more because now we're more connected. Yep. Right. That's how this whole triangulation stuff works. Now you'll see, oh, John works in fitness. Oh, we put out this stuff on low back. We have that's just like a data point in your head that you didn't think right. about. Right. Well, now you're going to be at dinner or uh, do a Skype dinner or whatever in quarantine times right. with a with a family friend or with with your mother, let's say, who um, is speaking about a family friend of yours who is complaining that they had low back pain. Oh, right. I got a guy for that. Right. Like that's literally how it works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so the better that you can position yourself to be thought of in all of those, in as many of those little circumstances over the course yeah. of a day, a week, a month, a year, the better. That's like a big stone wheel, right? It takes a bit to get momentum going, but 
once you're thought of, it's like you can't measure this stuff, which is why you don't see it spoken about. Right. But like so many other things, the stuff that you can't measure is so much more important than the stuff that there is. You know, Jonah Berger, who does most of the leading research, who's done a lot of leading research in social contagion theory, he's a professor at the Wharton School of Business, who actually gave a nice quote on the cover of my book, Vironomics, well, actually said, this is a guy who's like a leading researcher on social media virality. Right. Said 93% of purchases still come from offline word of mouth. Really? But you can't that's measure. Crazy. Yeah, that's tough. So nobody pays attention to it. Yeah. So how can you put yourself, the smug professionals, do the kind of stuff that you do, Mike? Like, you're just there, man. You're there in so many different ways that nobody could ever measure for so long that you just, I mean, we ask people why they enroll in the Online Trainer Academy. In most cases, our sales cycle is actually eight to 10 months long. Wow, yeah. Somebody to enroll in it. Yep. It's not It's not an ad to a phone call to a whatever. Right. And that's why we're crushing our competition. Is because we've been doing this since 2013. Yep. Is because we've been put out. We've put out so much work. We've built so many relationships, and we've we've worked with so many people, and we've done so much for so many people over so long. Yeah. That now we just get referred. We get spoken about all over the place. Yes. Right. Yes. And that, like you said, it's just so hard because everybody now wants to just build a funnel or jump into paid advertising and, oh, well, in 21 days, my funnel should convert them. And it's like, eh, nope. maybe, maybe, but maybe not. And it not might take a hell capacity. of a lot longer than that. Yeah, it's relatively easy to take out low-hanging fruit in your network. And so a lot of these marketing systems that are built, if, if you actually look at the advertisements and the testimonials for these, you'll very rarely see anybody talking about what happened after the first two or three months. Yeah. And the reason is almost none of these things, almost none of these like quick fix solutions actually ever work beyond the first two or three months because almost any trainer worth their salt has people in their network that will probably buy if they present their services the right way. Yes. Yes. And then they tap that out pretty quick. Yep. And then what do you do? Right. And then right. you can't generate anything else. So all of these systems, it's like, Cool. You'll t I can tell you how to take out the low-hanging fruit in your network. You just got to know how to ask. You got to know how to make a compelling offer. Right. It's not that hard to do. Um, but then where do you go to from there? And again, like you can't sell a system. Here's, here's one of the biggest um, logical fallacies with a lot of marketing systems that are bought and, and executed is as, as somebody who produces a system um, – I can't sell you a system that isn't neatly tied up in a bow. Right. But that's not how anything works. Yes. So I am forced to basically have success with something, post-rationalize that thing, identify the key steps, eliminate all of the murky, muddy stuff that probably actually is important. Yes. But doesn't like show up because it can't really be measured and then say, okay, just do this. Right. But like, that's not how the world works. <laughs> right. 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 So it's this, it's, it's this problem, which is why, you know, what we try to do with, with the online trainer Academy is we try to like give you the tools to understand what you need to be doing 
to catch all these lucky breaks, to put yourself in this position where 100% we'll show you how to take out the low hanging fruit. Yeah. I mean, we'll get you those first five or 10 clients. Yeah. 1K extra is five clients at $200 a month. $72,000 a year is 30 clients at 200 bucks a month. Right. Like I'll show you how to do that. Right. Like that's actually reasonably easy to do with, with a couple steps for people who have been in the industry long enough to have a bit of a reputation. Yep. And like, you know, like a history of results. Like if you're brand new and you've never worked with anybody and you've never done anything on social media and nobody knows what you do, like it's going to be a bit more work for you. Right. For sure. But, uh, but then it's like, all right, now, now that you're here, here's how you make sure that this stuff just starts to roll. Right. Just starts to continue over time. Love it. Love it. Okay. One more on this thread. What are the biggest mistakes you've seen when people get started in online coaching? Uh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many people teaching it that just simply don't have enough information. They haven't been doing it for long enough. Right. Even a lot of the certification bodies are now teaching online training. And I mean, they. I know that you don't know what you're talking about because you tried to buy my program four weeks ago. And then in the three yeah. weeks that followed after I said no, you came out with your own. Right. Like, it's just no that, you know, they ignored it for so long. So, um, you know, this whole thing of like, what camera do you use? How do you best like coach somebody over Skype? It's like, that's not online training. That's what people who don't really understand online training think online training is. Right. Online training is simply a better way to deliver direction, support, and accountability to the client. And very rarely is it have anything to do with video training. In yeah. fact, we actually don't even cover video training in our certification. Mm. That's how irrelevant it is. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, once people like like it's relevant in quarantine time. Right. The second the quarantine ends. Right. It'll be irrelevant again. And right. and and not even that. Um, the companies that are big in that space, like like Talk, Les Mills, Beachbody, all of these, you're not going to be able to touch them, man. Peloton, no. like no. you're not going to be able to touch them in video production and reach and ad spend. Right. Like so now you're going to try to compete on a scalable model with vid- it is no. it just ain't going to work. Right. And then when everybody goes back to work. And they only have the 5 to 8 p.m. slots open. You're going to be sitting them, coaching them over Skype. Ain't nobody. Right. Like, no. nobody's showing up to that. Like, that's no. just not going to happen. Um, so, I mean, that's one. Don't build your business based off of video training and think yes. it's going to last anything after COVID. Right. Um, number two is it comes down to support. We see a lot of people fall when deciding and setting precedents for support. Um. I think that there are very good ways to offer support to clientele in a very structured, scalable way that is individualized. A lot of coaches I find just try to, they they think that offering more is better when actually most clients don't even want that. And it may even be um, a stop to them purchasing. It's like, oh, you get this and this and this and this and this. The client like actually won't buy because there's too much. But also like ain't nobody needs to speak to you once a week you know, on the phone. Um, nobody needs to talk to you for 30 minutes or an hour, you right. know, more than like maybe an initial assessment once every three months. Yeah. And so um, having really strong precedents for support and, and I mean, we have some really good systems for how to do this and making sure that part of the precedent is 
you're not immediately responsive all of the time because then you start getting that phantom buzz with your phone in your pocket and you can never be with your family. You can never be working out. You can never have that time where you know that it's your time or your family's time. Um, I mean, what matters like Sunday morning at 8 a.m. I'm going to turn on some old school hip hop and I'm going to respond to clients. Right. Right. Uh, whatever your times are, um, you know, you need to make sure that those precedents are there. And, and like I said, I mean, I'm happy to get into a couple of systems if, if we have time, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to give, if you want to give a piece or two, I don't think anybody would be upset with that. Okay. So, um, there's, there's two, there's two main ones that I'll go over. There are other ways to do it as well. Like, like we do, we teach people how to do 13 minute check-ins. Like okay. basically to me, a check-in with somebody, if you do do it on the phone, I say 13 minutes cause then you can do four an hour and have two minutes to pee in between. Yes. Um, you could also do six an hour and do nine minutes, but, uh, but the check-ins are very, very structured. It's basically like, how are you sleeping? And does anything hurt? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like that, like you're just trying to you're trying to identify potential red flags. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's not one of them. I'll, I'll tell you two, two ways. One is, um, office hours. And so we recommend that all of our trainers make themselves available to their clients via office hours. So office hours sounds like just like it is with your college professor. You say to your clients, Hey, I'm going to be in the office, uh, Tuesday from two to 4 PM. And Thursday from 3 to 5 p.m. or whatever it is. In the office means you're logged into, let's say, Skype. And and you can do a separate Skype account for your clients if you want. If yep. you're like me and your parents always call you on Skype the minute that you're logged in. <laughs> and what you do – actually, not anymore. My parents use Zoom now. It's, okay. It's yeah. Yeah. They're, they're evolving. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, but – but then what happens is every client, if they want to ask you something or chat about something, they can log into Skype during those hours and they can text back and forth with you. Okay. And you can have one-on-one interaction with them, one-on-one interaction with multiple people at a time. And then if you need to talk and dial into something deeper, you just click call. And now you're on a call with them for a minute or two yep. to talk through the thing. You don't need a scheduled 30-minute phone call to talk about something that could take 30 seconds. Right. Um, that. And then I usually recommend for most trainers in, in like a conventional online training, there's a bunch of different models that we don't have time to get into, but I usually recommend for most trainers that combined with, um, an email a week. Yep. And, uh, and, and what I say to people is tell your clients that they can send you one email a week with questions yep. and that email has to be very structured. And so the email has to be point form. Each point is a question. Each question is no more than three sentences. You can have as many questions as you want. I like it. And that does a whole bunch of things, right? So what that does is, is um, number one, most people, if you just let them write, then they're not writers. They write you this this redundant wall of words. Right. Um, this forces them to be succinct. Yep. It structures it in a way that you can easily pull out the important information. If you need to go back and get more information from them, you can always do that. Yep. Right. You can always yep. ask for clarification, get them on the phone, whatever it is. Um, and then and then the nice thing is if you just let clients fire you questions anytime, they're going to just fire them at you and they're not going to pay attention to how many are there. You're going to yep. get like my wrist hurt. Like in the gym, you're going to be like my wrist hurts while I'm bench pressing. What do I do? And you're like, I can't answer that. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but if they, if you ask them to make you a list, basically collect the list, 
um, they were immediately going to look at that whole list. This is like a nudge by if you if you know anything about Richard Thaler's work. Um, if you ask them to make a list, they're going to look at the list and they're going to immediately eliminate things that don't need to be there before yeah. you even get it. Yeah. And so you're just not going to get the same volume of questions. You're still offering them in unlimited support. And then you just set a guideline. You say, hey, send an email whenever you want each week. I'm going to answer every single one of them at this time. Or if you need two or three blocks, then you can do two or three blocks. Yep. Um, my my buddy Andy Morgan, who's out in Tokyo, British guy but lives out in Tokyo, uh, takes this one step farther. Uh, he told me I was I was in Tokyo, I was spending time with him, and he told me this. He has a no cell phone rule. Nobody can ever send him any type of message from their cell phone. Mm, I like that because he's just like he's just like. Cell phones breed ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's just stream of consciousness, right? Like they haven't really thought through what the issue is or what's going on. It's just, oh, I have this thought. I'm going to I'm going to put this on somebody else, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he doesn't he doesn't let them he fires his clients if they send him a message through his cell phone, <laughs> which I which I think is kind of funny. Um I love so it. that's just that's just two. Um, that's great. That you know, and you can see how those things can kind of be mix and matched, right? And you yes. can build them into different levels of support as well. And you could always um I think it's appropriate, I think it's important to set appropriate precedents. Yep. And then under promise and over deliver. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do an extra phone call or something with a client because you want to chat with them, you think they need it. I mean, 100% do it. Yep. But don't promise to every single one of your clients that you can do a 30-minute phone call or whatever because, like, man, what are you going to talk about? Right, right. It's great. It's great stuff. Okay, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Jonathan Goodman one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. I think this was on the list of questions you sent me beforehand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Things are things are things are good. Um, I've certainly made mistakes. Uh, the the biggest thing that I think that I probably would have started doing earlier is I would have started documenting everything that I did in a way that somebody else could do it for me. Mm. Um, yes. You know, we get a lot of questions from people saying, you know, how do I find a good VA? How do I find a good assistant? Uh, you know, I tried to hire one and 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 he wasn't good or she wasn't good. Where are you guys finding good assessments? It's like the Problem. And so this is a question of like, how do you start taking those steps towards freedom, right? How do you start delegating um, some of the work that you're doing so that you can be more um, to your to your clients, that you can be more of your family and you can start that process. And like often the first step is to start hiring additional help and delegating. And so we, we get that question a lot. And it's always funny because it's like the problem is probably not that the person wasn't good. The problem was probably that you weren't very good in managing that person yeah. because you didn't know what to tell them to do. You can't just hire an assistant and be like, go do things. Right. You know? And so I, I, if, if there's one thing that I wish that I did earlier, it was just document everything that I did. Now, did I answer a question? Can I write the answer to that question in a templated format and keep that on an FAQ? Yep. Did I um, create a Facebook image? Well, can I write down now image specifications and colors and, and the feel that I want and a checklist for what needs to be included so that um, next time I can hire somebody else to create the image and I don't need to spend an hour on Canva or whatever doing yes. it. Um, and just build out everything that you do if you take an extra five or ten minutes and build out 
um, a, a document so that somebody else could do that thing for you before you are ready to hire somebody else. Then when it comes time to hire somebody else, you can systematically offhand jobs to them because you probably won't hire somebody full time right away. You'll be like, right. start with five hours a week. Right. Right. Offset some jobs. Okay, now 10 hours, now 20 hours, now whatever. And and you'll have the jobs ready for them in a way that probably isn't perfect, but is good enough for them to start. And then you just begin the process of improving those documents, of improving those operations. Um, I mean, that's how a business forms. Yep, I love it. That's great stuff, man. Okay, last but not least, our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you'd like, okay? Okay. Number, number one, what's your career highlight so far with the PTDC? Being able to spend eight months abroad with my wife, and I mean, he's now three, but like two-year-old last year, and we had a nanny who traveled with us. Um, I, you know, I was a minimum six hour time change away from a closest staff member for the majority of the year. Wow. And, uh, to be able to, to run, uh, you know, a, a, a large business or growing business with 20 plus people on the payroll and do that, um, was just special. I mean, yep. we lived in like last year we did, uh, two and a half months in Mexico, uh, in, a, in a little town called Silita, two months on an island in Greece, um, 10 days in Spain, in Madrid, and then we moved out to Couture in Montenegro and lived in Montenegro for three months. Um, my wife and I spent our third anniversary hiking in the Albanian Alps, you know, for four days. Uh, we right. visited Serbia. We visited the Netherlands on the way home. Like, to be able, we kind of just, and then, you know, we moved home and, and moved into, like, we got off the plane, and moved into the house that we bought, which, which actually, no, that's not true. Then we came home for three months and then we went back to Mexico for two months because it was the winter and it was cold. <laughs> uh, and then we got off the plane to Mexico and, and moved into our house. And just to be able to, to do that, I mean, it was, it's not like a business, to me, it's not a business maximization exercise, right? It's like this continual exploration of just trying to figure out how to do this like life and business and family and fitness thing and to try to kind of make it work in a way that is just feels good to me. Yes. And and just continuing on that journey of of figuring that out is 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 pretty cool. I love it. Okay, number 2. Talk to me about the online trainer show. The Online Trainer Show is our podcast. Uh, you can find out more at onlinetrainer.com slash podcast or search Online Trainer Show wherever you listen to podcasts. It's it's irreverent, man. It's like it's like a comedy show. Um, <laughs> I think that learning should be fun. And and I, I think that learning should be fun and you should laugh. And, um, you know, I think the goal of a podcast is not necessarily to give you something that like, oh my God, now I know exactly what to do. It's like, the goal of a podcast is to be able to begin and, and continue along the process of figuring out where you want to spend your time. Yep. Um, starting to put uh, information uh, into into its right place so that you can then go deeper and, and take that course, read that book, study from that person, whatever. And so we try to really do that with the online trainer show. We have fun. I love like it. I said, it's, it's mainly a comedy podcast and then, <laughs> you know, you might learn something about business and online training in there. I love it. Okay, number three. If you were a professional wrestler, 
what song would play when you enter the ring? Uh, that's a good question. I think I'm going to be boring. I'm sure a lot of people say like funny things to this one. Uh, Crystal Method, Name of the Game. Okay. Take me back to my high school days. Yeah, that's a good album too, man. That good was stuff. a great, great album. Okay, I like that. Okay, number four, last but not least, what's next for Jonathan Goodman? We have started, we have a first beta group going on right now for what's called online trainer coaching. So if you go to the ptdc.com slash OTC or just, just search online trainer coaching, this is actually a fitness coaching company that we've developed, an online fitness coaching company that we've developed specifically for fitness professionals, nutrition professionals. Okay. And, and we, I want to do two things here. One is um, I think a lot of fitness nutrition professionals, I think all of them should have their own coach. And so, you know, we're brought in some of the best coaches that we could possibly find. Yep. Um, to coach you, but I also want to really show you what a truly great online training coaching experience is like. Okay. And the system that we've built is really, really cool. And so we've got our first, we didn't announce it publicly. We just did a private to like a, a small segment of our list and we, we just wanted a hundred spots filled and we filled them in the first day. So um, we have a first cohort actually getting their programs next week. Nice. Uh, they're starting out and then uh, we'll, we'll begin scaling that. Basically the model that we built, the, the goal is to scale it to 2,000 clients within the fourth cohort. And I mean, we can add on 50 coaches tomorrow. With, wow. with the systems that we built. So, um, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to grow. That's exciting, man. Well, Jonathan, <laughs> you've been awesome to chat with today. I'm glad we finally got to meet, even though it's face-to-face -face via Skype. Still exciting. Um, it counts. We're going to count it. That's right. We're counting this. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great work you're doing? Yeah, if you're interested in, in the certification, the Online Trainer Academy, just go to onlinetrainer.com slash academy. That's one. Uh, the podcast, if because you're listening to podcasts, I figure you probably like podcasts. Yep. Uh, just go to onlinetrainer.com slash podcast and then Personal Trainer Development Center is where you'll find, you know, thousand plus articles on basically everything you ever <laughs> want to know about training and life and training and everything. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll make sure I get all those links in the show notes. But again, John, man, this is great catching up today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Talk soon. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with John. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He is such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to, number one, creating a platform. I mean, the PTDC is just a massive website. When you think about it, you think about all the content that's on there. But second, I mean, he is really killing it when it comes to the online coaching game. And he's really, I mean, literally, like, wrote the textbook on this. And he gave some really valuable insights and information at the end of that episode that I know I'm going to use. Like, I'm going to consider starting with the office hours and the bullet point formats. I'd already done some of those things, um, but really just tidying up and cleaning up the procedures. I know I'm going to be using those myself. So if you enjoyed this show, I've got one of two asks for you. Number one, if you're not already, subscribe to the show. Every week you'll get notified, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, um, Spotify, I just got word from my podcast team. We're on Amazon now. So basically, if it's a major place where you can download and subscribe to episodes, you can find us there. So if you're already subscribed, I appreciate it. Do me one, do me one higher. Review and rate the show on iTunes. Ratings and reviews are the fastest way to help grow the show, to get the show in front of more people. And whether it's your first time listening or your 50th or your 240th, wherever we're at now, you know, 
those things mean a lot, not only to me personally, but it gets the show in front of more people. And if you guys know anything about my mission, I'm here to help as many trainers and coaches take their game to the next level. So if you could rate and review the show in the iTunes store, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So my friend, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.